This is a download of Chicago Audio Works, the podcast of the University of Chicago Press. For more information, go to the website, www.press.uchicago.edu. Hello and welcome to Chicago Audio Works, the podcast of the University of Chicago Press. I'm your host, Chris Gondak, and today I'll be speaking with Neil Steinberg about his book, You Were Never in Chicago. Neil Steinberg is a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, where he's been on staff since 1987. He's the author of seven books, including Drunkard, A Hard-Drinking Life, and Hatless Jack, The President, The Fedora, and The History of American Style. Neil Steinberg, thanks for taking time to talk to the Chicago Audio Works today. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. You came to Chicago when you were 18 years old to study at Northwestern. Did you come to Chicago with any preconceptions about the city? And if you did, did you find that they were warranted? Well, I I had a a sort of a a view of a glittering downtown city. I had come here with my father, uh, who's a scientist, and he was attending a conference. So I stayed at the Palmer House and ate at the Black Hawk and sort of saw the city, as many people often do, by its tourist haunts and by its its downtown life. And... uh, you know, only gradually, as I stayed here for years, did, did sort of the ring expand and I get to see the rest of the city. Now, the title of your book, You Were Never in Chicago, was a response from a Chicagoan to Joe Liebling, the old New Yorker writer's book about Chicago called The Second City. And anybody who's read The Second City can't help coming away thinking that Liebling really was not that fond of the city. What do you think that Liebling missed about Chicago? I do think that he came at a very different era. Post-war Chicago, it was this bleak, weary, tired city um, that had all sorts of oddities like Colonel McCormick running the Tribune. McCormick, of course, being the, 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 the Hitler coddling you know, isolationist publisher. And so he had a lot of negative things to chew on. And he did have a a contemptuous sort of New York attitude, which still exists to this day, I should say. You know, the New York Times put this book on its exotic locales bookshelf next to a book on China and a book on Africa. And so, you know, there's still that going on. And and, and people, you know, I I did a piece for the Huffington Post on 15 reasons why Chicago is better than New York. And people kind of responded saying, oh, that's that kind of boosterism of Chicago, but that's that's how we were created. You know, we, we were a city that burned to the ground and then sent out drummers around the country to get people to come here and work. And so to be proud of Chicago and and, and to compare it to other cities, I think, is is a long-standing tradition. And, and you know, Liebling, he, he didn't have any affection for it, okay? And Chicago is, is a city that, as, as good as its numbers are, there's something beyond the numbers. You know, I, when, when Chicagoans are always trying to kind of show themselves as a, quote, world-class city, unquote, you know, using population or using, you know, minutes of symphony music or whatever, they're missing the point. There's an ineffable something to Chicago, a spirit that, that Liebling didn't get, even even being at a, at a bleaker time. And, and you know, look, he, he it's easier to pan a restaurant than to praise it, right? And and I, I do think it was a failing of his that he, he basically just slapped the city around and didn't point out its glories, or when he did, he did it sort of in a snide way, which I'm sure was a ton of fun, but, but you know, as a journalist, you're supposed to have a certain uh, a, a certain affinity to accuracy, and I, I do think he fell down on the job in that regard. The first chapter of your book is Manus Manum Lawit, a lovely Latin phrase. What does it mean? Uh, manus Manum Lawit is uh, one hand washes the other. 
and it's sort of the Chicago way. It's also expressed as quid pro quo or we don't want nobody, nobody sent, meaning that uh, people help people. You help your friends and they help you. And that's sort of how things are. Some people think of that as corruption. Although, you know, in my book, it's not so much a argument for corruption as an explanation how things work. I mean, we're a city who uh, our mayor of, of almost 25 years spawned a second mayor of almost 25 years. And, and that wasn't a coincidence, obviously. You know, I've often wondered if Chicago is really any more corrupt than any other American city or whether it's just been blessed with good writers who are able to point out the corruption. Or perhaps we just have good prosecutors who find that corruption. You know, we're without question the most corrupt city in the country uh, as far as number of government officials who end up in prison. Um, But again, maybe we just have some really good U.S. attorneys here. Um, and the writers, you know, I, I, the, to me, the most sentient things I've read about that is that is that sometimes the reformers are part of the corruption process by every once in a while showing up and creating the illusion that things aren't corrupt. And uh, that may be more cynical than most people want to be, but there struck me as being some truth in that. Now, you've been a working journalist in Chicago really since the mid-'80s, and so you kind of had a front-row seat to this transformation that Chicago has attempted to make from a gritty and big, gritty industrial city uh, to now more of an international city, uh, a city that's more focused on environmentalism and financial jobs, white-collar work, uh, and quality of life. If we were to take an average Chicagoan who you might have met when you first started your career in journalism and brought them into Chicago today, would they recognize the place? Well, I mean, the, 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 the general contours are the same, but I think they would be surprised in several significant ways. Uh, I mean, downtown used to be a place where people came to work uh, and then they would all go home. And now many, I mean, it used to be you could shoot a cannon down State Street at six o'clock and there was no one but bums and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but now uh, much more vibrant. There are lots of apartments and condos and supermarkets and dog walkers and everything. Much more uh, life going on in the heart of the city. Um, used to be we had had these factories that were turning things out almost in the neighborhoods. We have, we have a steel mill still, uh, a Finkel Steel, uh, in one of the neighborhoods, and there was a lot more of that. So I, I think they would be surprised to see uh, just how many long... I mean, they, some of the changes would shock them. I'm sure Marshall Fields, the department store, is gone. You know, now it's a Macy's, and, and uh, the Berghoff closed down, and, and, and things like that I think would surprise them as well. But they, generally, this, and some of the new buildings, of course, um, but generally the city... Uh, I, I think is is entering into the 21st century almost better than any other uh, American city has has managed to do, and, and that's something I think we're justifiably proud of. I was speaking to somebody about Chicago recently, and one of the things that they pointed out was that Chicago is very much a city of neighborhoods. Are the neighborhoods in Chicago as tightly knit as when you first arrived there, or are the neighborhoods more fluid today? Not the way it used to be, because in the past, not only were you all the same nationality and the same race, but you all might have worked at the same steel mill, for instance. And uh, because uh, the the uh, economic base of the city is more diverse, you are seeing even some of the most uh, traditionally, you know, uh, white Irish Catholic neighborhoods have they they don't have the same tools they once had to to enforce their uh, their uh, singular nature. And so, I mean, certainly, I think you you go. Go to some places, and they're they're largely unchanged. Bridgeport is still generally 
the same way it's been. I don't think they're quite as strong, which you know you can argue whether that's an improvement or not. Uh, some traditional neighborhoods have sort of a, a lattice of ethnicity. Uh, Andersonville comes to mind, where there are Swedish shops and bakeries, and there are, I guess, a few Swedes there, but it's not the same way it was uh, 50 years earlier, let's say, where you've got these the, the, a much stronger uh, ethnic identity. And so I, 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 and there are new neighborhoods forming all the time, uh, different uh, communities that are cohering together. So I do think it's important, but I also think that, you know, we're a much more mobile culture now, and you don't have people living in their house for 50 years the way you once did. So I, I think neighborhoods are important in Chicago still, but not to the degree they once were. Now, as I alluded to in one of my earlier questions, you're not originally from Chicago, but your wife is a native Chicagoan and your sons were born in Chicago. There is a discussion in your book about Chicago provenance, about what makes, when is somebody actually Chicagoan? Because of the fact they were born there, do you consider them more Chicagoan than you? Well, that's, you know, um, I, I, I consider us all a family, so I, I think we're all equally Chicagoan. I mean, my boys are teenagers now, so they don't seem to belong anywhere. Um, my wife certainly is, is, is much more savvy as far as going about uh, the city uh, than I was. I, I think we've, we've reached a par after almost 30 years. Um, you know, there, there's something about growing up in a certain place that I think can't, and my, and my book touches upon that, that can't be reproduced through later experience. Um, and my kids, you know, the Chicago way is sort of who you know. And I, I remember when my kid was seven, uh, I was trying to talk him into the Library of Congress. And they were saying, uh, well, you know, he's not a researcher. He can't get in. And he sort of said to me in a whisper, he said, Dad, do you think it would help if you tell him I'm friends with Mrs. Creighton? Mrs. Creighton being the librarian at his elementary school. And then that to me is a pure Chicago attitude. It's like, hey, I'm in with all the librarians. Cut me some slack. And that, you know, to me, that's the essence of Chicago. The, the Chicago is who you know and, and, and who you help and who helps you. And it could be the person down the block. It could be the person in City Hall. It, it, that, that to me is, is an essential Chicago quality. Not only are you a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, but in the book I learned that you write obituaries for them as well. Was there any one obituary you wrote that when you finished it, you said, you know, that's just part of Chicago that is never going to come back? We had a columnist named Irv Cupsonit, and he was sort of our standard gossip columnist through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And so here was a man who would just, uh, not only did he write a column, he had a TV show at random that would run Saturday nights, and he would have Malcolm X and Nixon on. You know, he had all these weird combinations of people, plus he broadcast the Bears games for 25 years, plus he was in movies, and he just, he was one of those omnipresent people. And and the way I always tried to explain Cup was... uh, he was a guy who once, when he, he parked in front of the opera house on Wacker Drive, and they, they towed his car, and they realized whose car had, they had towed, and they brought it back. And that, that was him. And, and so when he passed, I, you know, I, I've been here during a fracturing of the media. And, you know, when you could be the one guy, you know, it, it's sort of gone. You know, people keep waiting for Mike Royko to be replaced. And he's never going to be replaced because the whole culture has changed. And, and so, but I do, I do remember Cup going and thinking, you know, here's a guy who when he met Marilyn Monroe, she was a brunette. You know, when he met Mike Wallace, his name was Myron Wallace, and he was broadcasting a variety show in Chicago. You know, he knew everybody before they were anybody. And that's, that, that to me is sort of pretty impressive. As the book begins, you write about the fact that your family is getting ready to leave Chicago proper for the outskirts of the city. What do you miss most about living in Chicago? 
Um, it was sort of nice taking to the bus, taking the bus to the paper in fifteen minutes. Um, I think what I miss it mo- miss most is the 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 sense of authenticity that you got. You know, the, the book is called "You Were Never in Chicago." That was a a line someone wrote to A. J. Liebling to to respond to his famous Second City uh, uh, critique of the of Chicago in nineteen fifty two, and that's sort of when you're not from here or when you're not living in the city, people can go. You know, Daly would always kind of roll his eyes and say, "Hey, well, where are you from? You're from the suburbs, right?" And so that was a general dismissal of whatever your opinion is. When in fact, and I, I, I bring this out, I think hopefully quite strongly in the book, being from another place can sometimes allow you to see things more clearly and also feel confident in remarking on them. I found a, a quote from Upton Sinclair, and uh, uh, someone asked him, "Had he not lived in Chicago his entire life to write the Jungle?" And he said, "No, I was only there for seven weeks." Had I lived in Chicago my entire life, I wouldn't have noticed anything was wrong. And, and so I think that there's a benefit from being from another place. But I think not being in Chicago, it, it makes sometimes makes it, you know, as a daily newspaper columnist, I give lots of opinions. And some people kind of, you know, they can't ad- address what I actually say. So they address, you know, who I am or where I live. Neil Steinberg, the author of You Were Never in Chicago. Thanks so much for being on the Chicago Audio Works today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this download from the University of Chicago Press. Your comments and questions are always welcome, and the email address for the show is publicity at press.uchicago.edu. Copyright 2012, the University of Chicago Press, all rights reserved.